And that's why I kicked your leg out of your leg. You will rest in peace. Basketballs don't hold grudges. He got a bicycle. Hello and welcome to the WrestleCube. Yay. Um, you'll be hearing from myself, Tom Mimner, and Daniel Lackenbola shortly. Um, but just to explain, this week's episode is going to take a slightly... I say this week, as if we do this weekly. <laughs> uh, it's going to take a slightly different format than previous episodes. Um, because we had some technical difficulties, which were entirely my fault when we recorded, which rendered the hour and a bit that we talked about WrestleMania pretty much unusable. Uh, which is unfortunate, but that is what sometimes happens, and, you know, them's the breaks. Uh, so yeah, so we basically are in a situation where, rather than try and recreate some hour and a bit of magic, uh, we are going to have a quick chat about the most recent news, uh, all the big WWE releases, and, um, kind of them still going live during the, uh, COVID-19 outbreak, um, and kind of reactions to that, as well as the sad passing of Howard Finkel. Uh, and then individually, we're going to give you our thoughts on WrestleMania. Daniel looking at night one and myself looking at night two. Um, before we do that, at time of recording, we didn't have the information available to talk about the Money in the Bank ladder match uh, that's supposed to be happening in a few weeks. And we've since found out that the pay-per-view will be taking place at the WWHQ in Stamford, Connecticut, uh, with the ladder suspended on the roof of the building, uh, with with, the participants starting on the ground floor and working their way up through the building. Um, I just wanted to drop a quick note in on this, because it is absolutely insane. Um, I'm hoping that WWE, you know, for all the things they're under fire for at the moment, some quite rightly... Uh, hopefully they've done this in a sort of more cinematic fashion in the same way they did some of the stuff at WrestleMania, which we'll get on to. And hopefully we uh, we get something really quite special because this is something that sounds absolutely bonkers. Um, anyway, uh, enough, enough waffling from me. Um, we'll get on to myself and Daniel having a chat now. Uh, but I just would say uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, I hope you enjoy. Hello, and uh, welcome to the WrestleCube. Cube! Uh, now, as you might have heard from the brief intro that you uh, you just heard, uh, uh, this is our second go at this because mm. we had some technical issues that were all no, my fault. I would say full, full responsibility for those. Uh, I blame... Go on, sorry. I said I blame the universe. So That's fair. It's fair. I'm part of the universe, so in a way, uh, okay, fair enough. it's the universe's fault. Yeah, it's 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 your fault, listener. <laughs> you did this. <laughs> Why, listener? Why do you hate us? Why? Um, but yeah, so it's um, we had a few technical issues, which is the same. We we had a good, well over an hour of fantastic chat about WrestleMania. Uh, mm, but, so good. Uh, we're both going to present our thoughts uh, separately. Um, obviously, sorry, I'm Tom Mimner, as always, uh, and. With me. I'm Daniel Q back in Bowler. I thought I'd do it in song this time just to just Fix to mix up. things up. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Just keep people um, on their posts. Yeah, so um 
what we're going to do is do a little roundup because actually, since we recorded, there's been some pretty sizable news. Uh, so we, we thought we should have a quick chat about that, and then uh, we're both going to individually record our thoughts uh, on WrestleMania. Uh, Daniel's going to take uh, night one uh, of oh. uh, Boneyard fame, uh, mm-hmm. and I will be taking night two of Firefly Funhouse fame. Which, uh, yeah, 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 it should be good. Um, cool. Uh, so we'll get on to the big, there's like a cascade of news stories. So the first thing is WWE are now doing live uh, wrestling shows three times a week from their performance center, as opposed to their pre-tape schedule that they were supposedly doing uh, and putting a shitload of people at risk of getting coronavirus. Um, mm-hmm. Daniel, your thoughts? Uh, I don't understand why they're doing it. It doesn't make sense to me when you can just pre-record a whole bunch of shows and then put them out. Uh, yeah, I, I, and I understand that they have some kind of contract where they need a certain amount of live stuff per you know week or per month or whatever. But yeah. it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, uh, it, surely there is someone at the at the a network or whatever that is like, okay, fine, it's, you can pre-record this because it being live adds nothing to anything is with no audience there is there, there is nothing to add no, so I mean, look at wrestlemania i don't think that suffered at all i mean it suffered for not having an audience but it didn't suffer for not being live if yeah, anything was exactly. better because it wasn't live and you could do things like the boneyard merch and the firefly funhouse merch and uh, you know they could be a bit more creative with what they were doing and you know it also eliminates the possibility of botches exactly so, exactly so yeah i mean you know there, i think taped shows because of it goes back to the whole uh monday night war thing um when you know obviously nitro was live raw was taped uh, nitro you'd get them reading out the results from raw so t- taped shows was viewed as being this kind of you know thing from the past now like if you're taping without an audience there aren't any spoilers getting out so actually what difference exactly like all this is doing is putting a load of people at risk and you know the likes of jerry lawler for fuck's sake is in his 70s and was flying in on a public flight to yeah like it's it's madness yeah no it seems pointless to me i but um, you know money money talks i guess (laughs) money talks and um um, everybody wants to get paid and and as you can (laughs) as we'll get to in the WWE, your uh, your um, your job isn't always secured. So no, they say no. jump, you say how high if you want to get paid. So um, <laughs> yeah, th- so that happened. That was announced uh, to you know, obviously that got a bit of a backlash online and in the media, even in this country, the Guardian picked it up, the BBC picked it up. Like it was it was pretty uh, pretty pretty much everywhere for a little while, um, and then. Uh, the XFL happened. So the XFL uh, filed for bankruptcy on Jeez, like halfway through the week, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. Do we know what type of bankruptcy, though? Is it the um, chapter 11? Is it just restructure? So is that the restructuring of debt? So it doesn't necessarily mean that they're gone under, right? Or... I, I think it's gone. Oh, snap. Which is a shame because actually I thought they were doing quite well. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been quite yeah. well received. Yeah, exactly. All the people I know that were watching it, and I, I actually qu- quite wanted to watch it, but I don't have B- I didn't have BT Sports. Were actually really enjoying it, and it was um, re- it was um, it was challenging the hegemony. Is that the right word, Thomas? 
That's the word that jumped into my head. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that works. Of um, of um, of the NFL in in some ways. Um, I think. Oh, so I'm looking here. So it involves reorganization of a debtor's business affairs, debts and assets. So if they, yeah. So I'm not sure that's the. It's over. I think that's just the. They were robbing Peter to pay Paul while yeah. the thing was running, and because this isn't happening, they need to reorganize those well, debts. I mean, so, doesn't this does that mean it's over? It might mean that they might come back, and I, they just kind know. of. I mean, it sounded quite definitive from the statements that were put out, but then I guess there's there's a, there's some other factors you have to that are in play here. One, uh, Vince McMahon cashed in a shit ton of stock to make this happen, and he is mm. pretty much the sole owner of the XFL. With WWE having some stock in it, I think uh, an equity stake that didn't actually involve any money being put in from the company in order to appease the stockholders uh, that Vince McMahon wasn't going to be just, you know, basically pissing off to do the XFL and leaving WWE high and dry. Um, But they were very much separate entities, um, in theory at least anyway. But I don't know. um, I don't know whether this suggests that things like American football and certainly large scale gatherings are going to be off the table for quite some time. They have to yeah. Be, yeah. I mean, that might well be part of the thinking here that it's not worth continuing to pay these, you know, these kind of you know, these players these yeah. deals or the rest of it. He probably just like if until this stuff is back up, I need to reorganize me paying back all of the insane money I borrowed for make this shit happen. And I mean, so there's probably stadiums were, and teams. going to run at a loss for the first couple yeah. of years because they were paying for TV time. Yeah. So I think the idea was that this would run at a loss for a couple of years, but not an enormous loss. And then after that, they would be able to hopefully cash in on a big TV deal and you know kind of do it that way and then eventually become profitable in its own right mm. um but obviously without the big tv deal you're not going to be it's just it's not viable for them to keep running under the current circumstances no. uh and keep paying the outgoings under the current circumstances that would require them to to continue running so i mean that is part and parcel of that as well um mm. i don't know how much of a bearing this has on this but obviously uh, Vince McMahon has also been announced as part of Donald Trump's uh, advisory committee of various um, sport, sports owners and whatnot. Uh, Dana White from the UFC is part of that com- uh, committee. Uh, Mark Cuban is part of that committee. Various I would other... have paid good money to be on that call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, was, who was the big alpha, though? Is, is the... Oh, man. Just... Yeah, it's... Definitely Vince, definitely Vinnie Mac, or no, it'd be Roger Goodell, I guess, because the NFL is the ten-pound, you know, gorilla, ten-ton gorilla in the, in the, in that room. So probably Roger Goodell swinging I, I his dick. Around. Like on this, this Zoom call must have been like just fucking just shouting. Yeah, just ah, <laughs> <laughs> and all, all calling each other son of a bitches. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's yeah, so. I don't know whether that has any impact on both the XFL and also then what we're going to talk about in a second, which is WWE cost-cutting massively. Do they mm-hmm. know perhaps something that we don't at this stage? No, just how long this ship will go on for. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so that's another news story in itself. Uh, 2020's wild, man. Like, mm, it's only about to get wilder. Yeah, I know. Like, but Vince McMahon, in, 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 like, on a and Dana White on a fucking committee with the president, like, it, it's just what? 
This is the world we live in. This is the dystopian future we've always wanted to live. Um, So yeah, so so that broke, and then we ended up with this story uh, that came out yesterday, uh, which was pretty much that WWE were laying off or furloughing a significant number of staff, of uh, performers, uh, you know, throughout the company in a massive cost-cutting measure. Uh, So we know the majority of the wrestlers who've been released. uh, We've got a list. So I figure we go through them one by one and kind of Mm. rank what what they're going to do now, I guess. Yeah, let's do it. So first off the bat, we've got Kurt Angle, who was retired as an in-ring talent, but uh, was working for them as a producer. Uh, I mean, I have to imagine he's somebody who they might well... He's probably all right financially, and I imagine they might just rehire him. They'll bring him back at some point for sure. And I can imagine he was as a producer, but like, you know, <laughs> a producer. You know, I, I imagine mean, they've got plenty of producers. Yeah. <laughs> At I, the WWE, they, they don't need to keep Kurt Angle on in, in that kind of capacity. I mean, he was still technically on a talent contract because that yeah. contract hadn't expired. He'd retired. So I assume the idea was that he would be there in some sort of capacity to learn as an agent as a producer and they could use them on tv occasionally for the odd you know non-physical spot and stuff so probably um, a hookup then. <laughs> yeah so I, I would imagine he'll be back at some stage he yeah. seems i would imagine he's, he's, com- he's comfortable i imagine i don't really, really yeah. worry about him um, i think the biggest name on that list though um is rusev yeah now, or Miroslav Barnyashev, which I did just found out right now. Yeah, I didn't know that was his name either. Oh. Um, but R- Rusev, uh, it's felt like for the last like two or three years, he's been kind of not not entirely sure whether he was going to stay with the company anyway. Like he hasn't seemingly been very happy. He's got into tremendous shape, which you know, yeah, for somebody who's been blocked. used poorly, is normally a sure sign that they're ready to leave. Uh, look, yeah. at, look at uh, John Moxley. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a terrific shape <laughs> in time to leave. Uh, you know, that'll do it. Uh, hey, yeah, you're not, not motivate you like, uh, you know, the desire to get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And put yourself in the shop window as well. You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Rusev, Rusev had been off TV for a while anyway, and there was reports going around a little while ago that it was partly due to a contract dispute. So I don't know mm. whether he'd asked for his release already or what, but... Yeah, so he's 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 been released, um, and all of these guys I should note, uh, they all have the standard uh, ninety day no compete, as far as we know. Which is great because there'll be no wrestling anyone gives a shit about for at least ninety days. Well, exactly. So I mean, it's not really a big problem, is it? Um, um, obviously, the revival also got let go earlier in the week uh, uh, at their request, um, but you have to assume as they would have been also been agitating for uh, for their release they would have been on this list as well, most likely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Rusev, wh- wh- where do you think Rusev goes now? Rusev has, the the whole world is his oyster, I think. He's he's probably the biggest marquee free agent out there, isn't he? He's got an inbuilt audience. He's, he's seasoned. He's got the look. I think he can go anywhere. I, I'm assuming uh, a lot of these, a lot of speculation will come that a lot of people are going to go to e- AEW. Yeah, but for sure. I feel like they don't want to pick up a bunch of trash. I think <laughs> Apologies, guys, but he is the guy I can see who would be worth picking up out of all of these people. 
there's definitely a few guys on this list that you you think oh AEW might be interested there because they do strike me as guys that would they they could do something with but the AEW roster already is pretty pretty sizable and i don't know yeah. it's very difficult whether you want if you're Tony Khan and Cody Rhodes and the the Bucks and Omega and all the rest of it and you're you're talking what? about this sort of stuff like sorry man breaking up my sir oh can you hear me now yeah it was kind of getting a bit roboty oh oh that doesn't oh am i less roboty now you're definitely less of a robot right now am i still partial robot nope okay. full man you that's, are man that's, it's always good to know just i just like to hear it uh yeah, yeah uh, oh me i think AEW run the risk of having being perceived in the way that tna were perceived 10 years mm. ago if they pick up too many kind of ex wwe guys right off the bat as soon as they leave i know yeah, it, it, it's a delicate balance. And I think they should really only be going for people who not necessarily even have marquee name value, but people who have something they can add to that product. Because I don't think that just just having guys who have names from WWE makes makes much you know much business sense for them right now. Um, yeah. Rusev definitely could be a fit there. I wouldn't mind... I think he could probably do quite well anywhere. I think he's got such talent, such charisma, and he was so underutilized. I mean, I could easily see him going to New Japan. To be honest, I, I think he's got the. He's one of the few people on this list of, of releases that you could absolutely see going right. New Japan would be very interested. He'd make a lot of money, and you know, get to potentially work on himself, man. Yeah, and potentially make himself into a bigger name. Who, if he's interested in going back to WWE at a later point. You know, could potentially go back with with a much more leverage. Yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, it it really depends on what a, a, a run with him in in Japan would be like, because I feel like there's different types of guys, and some guys once they get a taste of 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 you know doing the Japanese style, then going back to the WWE is so restrictive, especially if they are fans of the actual art of wrestling, you know, and not the kind of um pro, you know professional well, i don't know i would say pro wrestling side but you know what i mean the more oh, yeah, um definitely. yeah so it, yeah it really would depend on, on what kind of work he does out there um you know as you said once once that happens i can see someone like him coming back to the aew if that's you know if that is still a thing that is happening when all of this is over but yeah man, i'm really excited to see what what he can do because i mean i didn't see I didn't see, um, you know, Cody Rhodes being the the guy he is now. I didn't see um, uh, who specifically um, that's been over there. Um, um, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank, Steve but you Robinson. know, other guys that have gone. Yeah, you just or, or even yeah, even John Moxley. I, I didn't see him becoming this guy or becoming such a big character after leaving the WWE and being able to properly find themselves. So yeah, lo- I'm looking forward to seeing what happen- what he does next. I think with Rusev as well, he is the kind of guy that I mean, you have to even you know, provided they get back up and running after all this, because I mean, there's that caveat is there for all of these companies mm. that things do kind of go back to normal. Um, I could even see Rusev stopping off in NWA for a bit. Yeah. Well, hmm, I'm not sure if I can. I think he's too big a name. I th- like, it just depends on whether there's a whole... Like, if AEW don't want to take guys straight away, and there's a bit of a holdover, 
yeah, I could see him popping up for a bit. Because that's where I see a lot of these guys on this list, if they're going to show up anywhere else. like, And I guess we'll go through it, but it's going to be ROH or it's going to be NWA. Yeah, I think ROH or, is oh, a, a big talent jump from this because I think there's a lot of guys who are that level who really could do a lot in a, in uh, ROH, basically. I think there's 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 a lot of mm. guys who, yeah, could make a big thing. But Rusev definitely, Rusev can go wherever he likes and he'll do really well. Yeah, um, exactly, yeah. So the, the other name on this list that I think, because look, it's a horrible time for anyone to lose their job, right? But in wrestling terms, also a lot of these guys have been treading water in the mid card for a while. WWE have been hoarding talent, and like at any other time, these guys being released probably would have been a you know a blessing for their careers in some respects. Yeah, it's just bad timing. But like, you know, would they have been released had it not been for the timing? But it's yeah, it's a whole thing. Um. Drake Maverick is the one I feel I feel worst for because he clearly did not want to leave. Like he has released a video on social media, uh, kind of explaining how upset he is about it all. Like not upset at the company, just he just was he was he was doing his dream job and having a great time. And, yeah, no, you can understand. I'd I'd be the same, you know. It's he, it's a it's a dream. <laughs> he was he was, you know, for fuck's sake, the man pissed himself on live television because uh, it, for a spot because the. Um, as the story goes, the uh, the fake piss bag that he was supposed to be using for a spot where he pissed himself didn't work. So he just legitimately pissed he himself. He just said, screw it, I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can, you can understand because it's just like... And with a lot of these names, none of these are really big names. And there were probably plans for this to happen anyway. And it's just like, this has just accelerated it. Like, the, the rosters that WWE has is, is really deep at the moment. They've got a lot of talent yeah. between all of their different brands. So it's like, there is no... You look at the names, you're like, yeah, there's no place for most of these dudes. But yeah, I feel like Drake Maverick, he'll, where, wherever he goes, he'll, he's so good. So underrated. I think he'll, you know, he was brilliant in TNA. He was brilliant over here before, you know, before he made got his big break in America. He'll be fine. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, but he is somebody I wonder who might might come back to England for a bit, and then maybe he'll end up going back to WWE once this all blows over because he is somebody I think yeah is and it, I imagine a lot of people are pulling for him as well. Like he'll get another go around. I think. Um, yeah. Uh, Zack Ryder and. I suppose in the same boat, Kurt Hawkins, both of whom have been with the company on and off for about 14 years. Oh, sorry, I'm losing you. Uh, so we've got uh, uh, Zach Ryder. Can you hear me now? Sorry, man. It's gone, it's gone, it's gone robot-y. Uh, okay, hang on, hang on. Uh-oh. Uh, oh, no. How about now? Any better? Yeah, yeah. It said there was a poor network connection. It might be mine. Let me just. Oh, now I've lost you. Oh, sir, can you hear me? Oh, uh, yeah, you're you're breaking up a little bit. Hang on. Am I breaking? Up? No, no, you're fine now. Yeah, sorry guys, sorry guys out there in Radio Land. Yeah, because I'm also not going to edit this because uh, I'm late. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, hope you're people. Guys. This is live. This is live, just like the WWE. Yeah, we're, we're live. We're recording. It as live. It's fine. It's uh, so, um, yeah, uh, we've got uh, Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. Who? Man, Zack Ryder. Jeez, like, what is? Uh... He's going to be devastated. 
Yeah, he is. I mean, he he really wants this, but it's just not working. I can see him at the NWA. I can see him fitting in there and what they do really well. I saw somebody earlier today comparing him to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> what? Why? Because he'll now be able to go to every indie show in the uh, in in the US and do his woo woo woo, uh, you know, thing. Have a short match and then. Go and collect his money from the merch table. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah. going to be him now. Head to the nearest bar, scan for chicks, no, try I, for the next town. I think he'll wash up in <laughs> AEW eventually. Cause, you uh, think so? Yeah, him and Cody Rhodes are quite good friends. Uh, he'd have to do something different, though. Yeah, I I mean, I'd, I'd hope I'd hope he would use this as an opportunity to reinvent himself. But um, I'm caught, uh, Kurt Hawkins uh, might go with him. Maybe they'll go as a as a tag team. I don't know. They're, they're, they are childhood friends, so... It's possible. Uh, Kurt Hawkins, I never really saw a great deal in him, unfortunately. Like, he seems like a really nice guy, but in the ring... I don't even know who he is. <laughs> yeah, well, that says plenty, I think. Uh, so, you know, let's move on. Uh, so we've got Gallows and Anderson, who I would be very surprised if they're not just going to go back to New Japan. Yeah. Because they were... They would, they you know, that's kind of... Yeah, they might go to AEW, but... I, I think New Japan it said that. how much a, how much uh, can AEW handle? I could see them doing well actually though because they are a real tag team. Um, also, again, uh, you know, I know we've said this before, but uh, in a, in a a company where the majority the vast majority of the roster are under six feet, yeah, like I think it'd I think be good to add some variety in, into the two, styles. Two I guess, guys, yeah, and I, two, yeah, they could do a lot in AEW, but it's it's whether. Yeah, it's whether that works out or not. I don't know. Uh, exactly, as there's only there has to be only so many roster spots that AEW can yeah. fill and pay for. I mean, further down you've got Heath Slater, who I feel sorry for him again, but you know, it's hard to say kind of how that's all going to work out. For Heath me. Slater, yeah. did you say Heath Slater? Oh yeah, sorry man, it's a cutting in and out. God damn it, in and out. Uh, hang on, let me let me try moving moving Good old Heath Slater. a little bit and see if that uh, is that any better. Yeah, yeah, it is for now. Yeah, all right. Let me just move me equips. Uh, the old equips. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Heath Slater, uh, and for, to a lesser extent, I go the same with Eric Young, uh, Eric Rowan, uh, No Way Jose. Uh, these are all <laughs> Mike. Mike no Maria, way, Jose. Mike and Maria Canellis, uh, EC3. These are all people who are going to impact wrestling, I suspect. Yeah, I mean, look, man, there's a lot of jobbers in this list. I just, you know, yeah, they're, they're, a lot of these guys, I think, would have been released at some point fairly soon anyway. So, I mean, it's it's hard to... But it's just the timing's yeah. shit. Like, it's it's really crap. Yeah, straight up. But, it's know. like, yeah, I mean, we're not saying that, hey, these people don't have potential. And the thing is, maybe this is the blessing in disguise and, and you know, no way Jose ends up being... You know, a legend of wrestling but right now. Like these guys, <laughs> these guys are all jabberinos, and um, and yeah, I'm not surprised that they took this opportunity to. If they were going to get rid of people, these are. This is a list of people, I guess you you would think about. I mean, it's unfortunate for them, um, and you know the way the WWE is, right? I'm not sure if it's still like this, but everybody is a self is self employed, right? So I yeah, mean, it's not like technically independent contractors. Yeah, so these dudes don't have, you know, they probably don't have any medical, they probably don't have any, you know, 
insurance and stuff and you know who's going to pay into their 401ks and all that stuff so uh, you know our thoughts and, and prayers and all of that go out to their families um but you know the wrestling gig is is a tough tough effing gig yeah sucks that anyone has to lose their job man yeah. i mean like you've got anyone's uh, going to be these guys. Uh, Sarah Logan, who uh, her husband is Raymond Rowe, uh, who is one of the uh, Viking Raiders, the the Raw tag team. Uh, so I mean, I feel for her because she's actually really good as well. Uh, but again, she's been doing nothing on on Raw for maybe six months. Sometime now, yeah. So I mean, you know, uh, Aiden English has been working as a producer for the most part and doing commentary so I mean you know again you imagine he'll get another shot with the company down the line um, mm. Leo Rush has had his detractors um, you know he's but he's somebody who again like he's very talented he's also very young he's still in his early 20s so again mm. he'll bounce back from this and he won't be short of independent dates once everything's up and running again uh, and then you've got Primo and Epico, who I don't even remember the last time they were on TV. Yeah, I didn't even realise they... I, to be honest, I don't really know who they are. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. Primo was in a tag team with uh, with Carlito. Are they cousins? Yes, and Epico is okay. his cousin. Uh, and they're both the sons of... They're both related to Carlos Colon, who ran the, um, the Puerto Rico uh, territory... Uh, and still does as a family they still do so uh i mean they're guaranteed work to a certain these guys are going to find some work some like you know in in the latin latin world they'll be fine for sure they'll just work in puerto rico worst case i mean they're gonna be right and uh, i guess having that wwe name as well gives you a lot of sway well everywhere really so it's it sucks for all of them um in addition uh diana perrazzo who was an nxt talent she was let go there are Apparently, some other NXT releases, but we don't have details on those just yet because it's been kept fairly quiet. So I don't really know entirely what the deal there is yet, but we'll see. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, referee Mike Kyoda as well, which is bizarre. He's been there since the eighties. Wow, that's cold. But that's some cold ass shit. Thing is, he's a referee. <laughs> And I'm yeah, but right man, now, a referee, the 80s, man. he's now a referee probably on quite good money for a job that could be Jeez. done by a, a lesser paid referee. Uh, like, I get it. The problem is... Hold on, man. You've been there since the 80s. The thing is, as a company, like, WWE are on course to make more money this year than they ever have. Yeah, that's with all this. Like, So in a way, this is pretty cold. They, they've let these guys go now. Yeah, man, but that's cold. Like, if you've been there for 31 years, oh. Yeah. Oh, that burns, you know? Like, but, I mean, yeah, he's, he's a big he's a big name referee, and there's not many of them. Yeah. So, he'll, he'll I'm sure AEW, NWA, or any any of the organizations around the world that need a referee will... will, will um, yeah, definitely. And also... He's since if he's been there and you know if he has a good relationship with um Vince McMahon, it won't be long till he gets him back or does something or finds a role for him. Like as 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 ruthless as the man is, he also does seem to have some kind of sentimentality for people that are loyal to him and you know It's true. <laughs> their swords here and there. So yeah, yeah I mean, I'm he, sure he'll he's sort definitely, them out. you know, never been one to screw somebody over and uh, you know uh, <laughs> 
That's never happened. Uh, he screws people over, but he always seems to like pay up in the end or something. Yeah. I don't know. He seems to, <laughs> he seems to get, you know what I mean? Like you have many chances with Vince. Yeah, maybe. He also seems like a terrible man. Yeah, that too. That too. A terrible man who lives by a code though. Yeah, and it's a code that only he can ever understand. Yes. <laughs> like, no other human being. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there was also some producers let go as well. Uh, so Lance Storm, uh, Billy Kidman, who's been working as a producer there for about 15 no! years. No! No! That's so... Oh, not Billy Kidman. That sucks. Oh. Yeah, I'm trying to think who else. Um, uh, Shane Helms. Uh, there's been... There, like, it's a massive list. Um Oh, Fit Finley as well. He's been there for years. Jeez. But, you know, this is what they decided to do, I guess. It's, yeah, How it much sucks. of this do you think is just them, like, do you think this was needed because of the, the, the well, as you said, the, the, the company's making more money than they've ever made. Do you think this is just um, a, a, a reason for them to cut rid of, get rid of people that they've been dying to get rid of for a no, while? Because I, I, think I, feel they, like... I think they they genuinely see this as a way to offset their money they're losing from lack of gates and lack of you know uh, uh all the rest of it but you know apparently they have a 500 million dollar um well, cash reserve of course uh, so. you know they paid that they were paying out a, a 3.4 million dollar dividend on stocks to vince mcmahon only a few weeks ago you know it's not <laughs> and i think he could definitely pay a lot of those wages with that dividend well, though <laughs> Cutting all of these people oh, nice. was apparently going to save the company four million dollars. <laughs> He's like, "It's my goddamn money, goddamn it!" It does feel a bit like that, doesn't it? It's uh, yeah. So yeah, it's not great. Um, we have one other piece of sad news uh, to report as well because I think feel like we should just. Uh, I don't. I do want to touch on this before we go uh, uh, off into our individual WrestleMania reviews. Um, unfortunately, uh, this week we heard this, the news of the sad passing of Howard Finkel. Uh, yeah, jeez. The, uh, the voices oh. of our childhoods, I would say. Uh, yeah, childhood. man, for real. Like, rest in peace, man. That guy is a legend. Yeah, no, no one's ever really quite cracked it in the same way of, you know, being able to, to bring, you know, the even the shouting and new. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> No one's ever really done it quite the same way and like, no. quite as successfully. It's incredible. Um, and, you know, it's been an outpouring of, of support and, and uh, stories from WWE superstars past and present. And, you know, interviews with him where he he just seemed like he loved wrestling and he loved being a part of it. And it's very sad. Yeah. It's very sad. Um, yeah. So I, you know, just wanted to point out there uh, a bit of sad news, but, but rest in peace, the Fink. Finkus yeah, as he was at WrestleMania yeah. uh, Rest in peace, out Finkel. Another yeah. piece of my childhood is dead now. Because <laughs> we're getting old. That's that's what yeah, happens. Yeah, uh, it's the worst. I don't, I don't want it. I don't want it. Stop it. Um, but yeah, so um, so yeah, that's that's all the news and uh, kind of yeah. Um, and I know this is a bit of a weird format this time, but uh, but yeah, we'll go off now and do our uh, our WrestleMania reviews. Hope you enjoy, you guys. This is. Hello, everybody. I'm Joe Galley, the voice of the National Wrestling Alliance, and you are listening to the WrestleCube. Hello, and welcome to the WrestleCube. My name is Daniel Kubekinboa, as you've probably heard from Thomas. 
And uh, due to some technical difficulties, we had some issues recording our WrestleMania preview. Well, not preview, uh, review. Uh, so I am uh, going to cover the first night of WrestleMania. Uh, and Thomas, my dear friend, is covering uh, part two. So without uh, delays, let's jump into it. So WrestleMania 36 night one was a very interesting experience for everyone. The first WrestleMania without an audience. And I, I, well, Thomas will probably correct me, but I think it's the first WrestleMania split over two nights. Um, I didn't watch the kickoff show because I believe in myself because I love myself and I don't have time for that nonsense. Uh, so I didn't bother with that. But the first match was the women's tag team championship match between the unfortunately named Kabuki Warriors and Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. So this match was really interesting because it was my first experience watching wrestling with no real audience. So it took a little getting used to um, that kind of dynamic. But I think um, that, you know, the Kabuki Warriors, uh, you know, Asuka and, and um, I think it's Kairi Sane um, did a fantastic job of, of, of being very loud and, 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 you know, joking around and dancing and ba- basically keeping the energy up even without an audience. So I think that was really impressive. Um, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, I don't really, I didn't really buy as a tag team. I, I guess that's not particularly the, that's not particularly their thing. Um, you know, um, I, I didn't particularly enjoy watching them wrestle either. I thought the, the match was, was okay uh, in the end. And um, I wasn't particularly happy with the ending, but um, it, it was okay uh, as an opening match. Um, it kind of set the stage for kind of the things that we were going to see later on. But um yeah, I think they did a good job of, of, of easing me, anyway, into the idea of watching wrestling with no crown. So the next match, uh, King Corbin versus Elias. Now, um, if you ask Thomas about this match, he'll stab you in the eye if you say anything positive about it. And you know what? With good reason, you know? Fool him once, shame on him, etc. So, but me personally, like, this was my first real... Well, not my first. It's, uh, I haven't seen King uh, or, or Corbin uh, or, or Elias in a long time. I do rate Elias's um, ability to 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 um, engage a crowd, even though you know his gimmick may be wearing thin. At this point, I do think he's very charismatic. And the last couple uh, Corbin matches I've seen, I've been quite impressed. Um, I think his match with Roman Reigns at Royal Rumble was actually very enjoyable. Um, and I'm watching this, uh, in, especially in, in comparison to the last match, and no fault of um, Asuka and Kyrie Sane, but I do think that. Watching this without an audience and after kind of having to suspend my disbelief for the last match, this match was kind of maybe an affirmation that these guys are actually pretty good at the in-ring stuff. They're pretty good at making fake punches and fake kicks look real. And I thought that they did a great job um, in this match. Um, I was actually surprised. I thought this was going to be something where I was going to go and run and and take a toilet break. But I actually thought this was a a pretty good match. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, with, um, I guess I should probably say the, the ratings, with, with Corbin defeating, uh, well, yeah, with Elias defeating Corbin, so, you know, yep, that happened. Uh, then it was a Raw Women's Championship, which was Becky Lynch and Shayna Baszler, so I am not a big fan of either of these uh, two, um, I, I think Becky Lynch's gimmick is, is kind of old now, and one-dimensional, although, you know, great performer, very charismatic, there's no denying, you know, how she's been able to put the WWE in her bag for, for some time now, um, but... I just don't find it enjoyable, um, you know. Shayna Baszler is a wrestler I haven't really seen too much of. Um, my first thing, I think my first foray into the world of, of Shayna Baszler was during, um, 
that elimination chamber. And I wasn't that impressed by her. Not that she's not a great wrestler, but it just, you know, there wasn't anything that I hadn't seen before. Um, in this match, I find myself um, rooting for Shayna Baszler. I thought it was actually a pretty good match. I thought they did a good job um, uh, of, of, you know, building the psychology and, and building this up to something that was quite interesting. And once again, without an audience. But I did think that the ending was garbage. Um, I think that Lynch defeating Baszler, just kind of out of nowhere and, and fairly clean, to me, was kind of a disappointment, especially after all of the build-up and the video packages, and it kind of seemed like this monster heel is going to come out and she's going to take over the WWE women's division because she can't be stopped. And then for her to lose like that, for me personally, ends any interest or momentum in the storyline. Like, okay, you know, it was just like the many, many years we had to watch Cena just completely bury every hope that we had for, for having something different happening. So, um, yeah, I wasn't particularly interested in that. Um, but me, me and, uh, you know, in the previous podcast, we kind of mentioned that, you know, uh, Thomas doesn't believe that um, WrestleMania is where feuds come to end. Moore believes that WrestleMania, well, SummerSlam is kind of where feuds end. So we'll probably look to see this reprised in SummerSlam or in WWE fashion, like, you know, it's dead corpse being drugged out for the next four or five years until they find something else interesting to do with it. Um, but yeah, good match, a lot of um, hard-hitting stuff, but I was disappointed with the ending. Uh, the Intercontinental Championship with Sami Zayn and versus Daniel Bryan, that was quite good, um, I enjoyed it, it was fun, um, it, yeah, it was mostly fun, I really loved Sami Zayn's kind of cowardly acting and heel tactics, um, I, I loved, I loved the, the, the additions of Nakamura and Cesaro, and, and I think... Um, I think Gulak ran out. Yeah, Drew Gulak um was there as well, and I kind of enjoyed it. Um, it was it was quite a fun throwback kind of wrestling match, reminding me of the kind of stuff um I would see when I was a kid. Um, and Zayn printing Brian um at the end was kind of weird. <laughs> it's uh, like there was kind of it just, once again another weird ending that kind of came out of nowhere and doesn't really um doesn't really make that much sense. I guess it doesn't really prove anything i'm assuming that's because they want to prolong this but yeah as a person who doesn't particularly follow the show I, I i felt unsatisfying and weird um but that's that uh so for me one of the matches of the night was the next the smackdown tag team championship with john morrison kofi kingston and jimmy uso this was a great match this was a match of the night and and i don't know if this match would have been better with an audience or if the match was so good because there was no audience it's, or if there was an audience we wouldn't have appreciated just how you know how much these guys do um there was a lot of cool stuff, a lot of interplay um, between all three guys. Um, I really enjoyed the, the, the verbal stuff between um, Jimmy Uso and, and Kofi Kingston and them torn each other. And, and that ending was um, fantastic. Like, I, you know, I, think we've, I don't know if we've seen endings like that before, but I really enjoyed the way um, John Morrison um, uh, fell down, kind of clutching both belts and <laughs> leaving the two up there looking at him. Uh, dumbfounded but once again that was a fantastic match um it would have been match of the night but there was some other other stuff on the show that was <laughs> that was maybe uh um a little more well i don't know if better in in-ring but definitely crazier um but yes um john Morrison won uh that bad boy um i'm not even going to talk about the 24 7 championship match because that was trash uh but big up rob gronkowski get that money baby get that money ah yes yeah, so the Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins was another fantastic match, actually. Um, I really, I, you know, once again, in-ring stuff was great, but it wasn't really the in-ring stuff on the show, or on this match anyway, that, that 
you know, uh, elevated it for me. It was, um, it was the acting, it was the verbals, it was the stuff they were saying to each other, it was the taunting. Um, and, and I guess without an audience, one of the things that you really have to do is you have to build the story. Like, well, we are essentially watching a telenovela, you know, at this point. So they really had to bring, you know, had to do a lot more to tell this story. And I thought they did quite, uh, uh, quite well. And I, I loved, um, I loved all of Seth Rollins taunting. I loved his, his entrance as well. Like, is this just, you know, divine, um, evil emperor, space emperor of mankind or something, you know, uh, benevolently coming down to destroy someone. Um, uh, I, I thought after um, there was kind of the fake finish and then uh, they, they restart the match, um, I, I loved the way Seth Rollins walked back to the ring. And I can't exactly remember what he was saying, but I, I kind of I really enjoyed that part. And then, of course, there was the, you know, quote-unquote WrestleMania moment of Kevin Owens jumping off the sign through uh, Rollins on the on the table. I thought that was fantastic. Um, yeah, that, this was a really good match. Um, I would have said I would have said match of the night, and I guess there's three contenders. Well, but no, there's two runners up. It would be this match and the previous match, and then there's one clear winner, um, <laughs> which we'll talk about soon. So the next match is barely worth talking about. It's Goldberg versus Braun Strowman. It was a, it was a boring splooge of spears and power slams then it was over and then Strowman won so good on Strowman uh, as much as I, I adore Goldberg and he's one of my favourite wrestlers you know with all of the caveats in place uh, probably not best for him to be champion at this day and age with his limited um, range uh, and then finally so this is this is the real stuff this is the real stuff. So we're getting to the to the meat and patatas. Uh, the, the final match was um, uh, uh, Undertaker versus AJ Styles uh, in a in a boneyard match, which is a which was essentially them fighting in a in a, in a graveyard, and it was very very cinematic. It was um, you know a lot of fast cuts, a lot of ridiculous stuff. The Undertaker rode in on a motorcycle to Metallica. Which you know, pretty red, and then it's just these dudes punching each other in the graveyard like the Undertaker is the final boss in a horror movie, uh, and then at some point you know AJ Styles manages to make druids appear from a barn with the Undertaker kills yeah he kills him, then he kills um uh Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows one he I swear he choke slams one off the roof and then. <laughs> <laughs> friggin um a tombstones one on, on 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 the roof as well so i'm pretty sure they're dead uh then aj styles manages to get the upper hand and he buries the undertaker who you know in undertaker fashion uh, magically teleports behind him as he do and then kills him and buries him and then rides away with the barn exploding and the undertaker sign uh shot into the side of the barn with laser beams which might be the greatest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And there are no arguments here. That was the best wrestling match uh, ever. Um, you know, I, with this pandemic stuff happening and the fact that they have to film uh, without an audience, I think it's really cool that they can take these ridiculous risks and do dumb stuff. And this is the kind of stuff I remember enjoying when I was a younger wrestling fan. And I, I see no point right now in this day and age of how savvy everyone is about everything. Uh, not only wrestling, but just how the media works. That why not just go completely batshit crazy and do dumb stuff like this. So, um, yeah. Um, you know, overall, actually, I think the, the show was actually very enjoyable. I really enjoyed one night, uh, night one, sorry. Night two, not so much. Uh, but Thomas will get more into that. I thought this was a good WrestleMania. Um, I... I don't know, I mean, if there was a crowd and they reacted in, in the appropriate parts, 
then it would have elevated the show even further because I think from beginning to end, it was actually well-paced and quite enjoyable. But um, even without a crowd, it's probably one of the better WrestleManias I've watched in the last few years. So, yeah, um, I guess if I was to give it a star rating out of five or something, I'd give it probably four stars. Yeah, four stars, maybe three and a half, if I'm being, if I'm being childish. But there you go. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, Thomas will uh, be handling the next part. So see you later. Bye, Cube. Hey, this is Stroke Daddy, Ricky Starks, and you're listening to The Recipe. Hello. Uh, so I'm Tom Mimner, uh, as you've probably gathered by now, um, if you're one of the few people listening to this. Uh, and um, you've just heard from my colleague Daniel all about his opinions on the first night of WrestleMania 36. Uh, and I'm here to talk to you about night two, uh, just to give you a quick rundown of my thoughts on the matches and the overall sort of card um daniel's probably wax lyrical for <laughs> a good few minutes about the uh the boneyard match which was the highlight of night one uh as well as seth rollins and kevin owens which was excellent um and generally night one was great and set a really high bar for night two which i'm not sure they quite lived up to although there were some fantastic moments that we will get on to shortly um We'll start off, I'm not going to do this in match order as such, but we will start off with the uh, the match on the pre-show, which was Liv Morgan versus Natalia. Uh, not a lot to write at home about, really. It was a fairly standard uh, match in front of no audience, um, which is going to become a theme on this. Uh, it was pretty pretty good. Uh, you know, They told the story of Natalia as a veteran, uh, kind of going up against the young upstart in Liv Morgan, and Morgan getting the upset win uh it was a nice spot for morgan to be in but i'm not sure that it really added a great deal to anything there's no story there was no reason for the two of them to be wrestling it was nice but very enjoyable but nothing really notable about it really beyond that um so after the pre-show which featured um cory graves and oh uh rosenberg i can't remember his first name Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, uh, having a chat and running, running on the matches, we got the big opening graphics, which were the same as Night 1, which is, you know, felt a bit cheap, but at the same time, they obviously invested a lot of money in that graphics package, so fair enough. Uh, and it would have looked incredible uh, had they been at Ray- Raymond James Stadium with the pirate ship and all the rest of it. So uh, I kind of get that, it's fair enough. Um, so the show opened with Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley, which uh, went about 20 minutes. Uh, they told a good story with Rhea kind of matching Charlotte early on, only for uh, Charlotte to eventually start working over the leg. And, you know, we, despite a number of comebacks, uh, we would eventually get uh, Charlotte working the leg to the point where she could, could apply the figure four, bridge into the figure eight. And after a second attempt at it, um, uh, and Rhea Ripley valiantly fighting on, uh, she would have to tap out and Charlotte would win the NXT Women's Championship. Uh, a good match, uh, a fairly... I would say a hot opener, but uh, without a crowd, it's hard to kind of say. I think it would have been a hot opener in front of an audience. Um, yeah, it's difficult because Charlotte doesn't necessarily... It feels like a step back for her in some respects, but I also appreciate that it brings more eyes to NXT by having her win. Um, I'm guessing Rhea Ripley, they can tell a redemption story with her, you know, kind of building her back up. And Charlotte also now has a whole crop of new opponents, which she doesn't really have on Raw or SmackDown beyond sort of Bianca Belair 
it, yeah, I, I feel like this was, uh, yeah, it was a pretty good good use of the, the, the NXT title. And although I would have liked to see Ripley go over and cement her as uh, a new kind of star, they, they can prolong that and get more out of it in the long term. So I don't really have an issue with it. Uh, moving on, uh, Alistair Black and Bobby Lashley fought for about seven minutes. Uh, not a lot to say here. They're teasing dissension between Lana and Bobby Lashley. Uh, Alistair Black had a great uh, entrance attire, uh, which would have looked amazing, I'm sure, in a big stadium. But here, we're just kind of whatever. Um, the finish was good, though. and The Black Mass uh, countering the spear uh, certainly looked fantastic. And I do think... Uh, this was kind of these guys were a victim of circumstances. Matches fell apart. Obviously, Rusev, for reasons that we've discussed, uh, no luck with the company. But uh, you'd assume they were planning on having Rusev and Bobby Lashley uh, and Alistair Black. I think had not really been factored into things. So it was just a really opportunity to get these two guys on the card. There was no real beef there, no real feud. But it was fine for what it was. Decent filler match uh, made Alistair Black look strong. So yeah, it's good for him. Um, Otis versus Dolph Ziggler is one of the matches on this show that I feel really suffered for not having a crowd. Uh, you know, the match itself was, yeah, kind of... Uh, obviously, you're not going to hear this, but me and Daniel had a discussion about this in the original recording where we spoke quite a length about the fact that Otis being such a big guy, and you know, made it weird that he was kind of almost playing the underdog at points here. It was very strange. Um... But that's fine. And, you know, this was all about the post-match with Manny Rose and Otis and this lovely moment that, you know, I'm sure would have got a huge pop in front of a massive audience. But sadly, wasn't to be. Um, but the nice conclusion to a, a very good angle and, you know, that solidifies their partnership. And I guess you get Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, uh, especially based on the SmackDown since then, uh, as your kind of programme going forward. Um... We'll come back to Edge and Randy Orton because I want to talk about that in a bit more length later on uh, as one of my kind of two big takeaways from this show. Uh, so we'll zip on to the Street Profits versus Angel Garza and Austin Theory, which much like Bobby Lashley and Alistair Black was very much a thrown together match because a lot of other things fell apart. So originally I think we were supposed to have Andrade and uh, Angel Garza uh, and Humberto Carrillo and Rey Mysterio in kind of a four-way, I think. That fell apart, and then it was going to be Angel Garza and uh, uh, Andrade versus the Street Profits. But then Andrade got injured, so Austin Theory, despite only having had a couple of matches in NXT, is kind of thrust into this position. But, I mean, that's fine. He's a very... He's young, but he's he looks very solid. And the match here, while it was thrown together, was the sort of thing you might see on Monday Night Raw, it it was fine. It was a very entertaining tag match. Montez Ford is still one of the most charismatic, incredible performers they have. And again, much like Otis and Dolph Ziggler, this was all about the post-match, really. So after a phenomenal frog splash, uh, that uh, after Austin Theory had hit a TKO on Angelo Dawkins, went for the cover, Montez Ford hit his frog splash onto the back of... Uh, Austin Theory, which led to Dawkins being able to get the pin. Uh, after the match, uh, Zelina Vega and Theory and Gaza were, all, uh, were ganging up on uh, Dawkins and Ford. And we got Bianca Belair coming back uh, out to the arena. 
and uh, joining her real-life husband, Montez Ford, and doing the whole kind of, yeah. So, again, a moment that I'm sure would have got a big pop uh, in front of a crowd, but with no audience, it was kind of a bit flat. But if this is Bel Air moving to Raw, which it certainly seems to be from what's happened since then, I am all for it, because there's not much left for her to do in NXT unless you're going to put the belt on her, which I think she doesn't really need it. And I think she's ready for the biggest stage available. She's the complete package, uh, as is Ford. And putting them together, yeah. I feel a bit for Angelo Dawkins because I think in the long term, this is probably the writing on the wall for him. Uh, he is very much the, the Marty to uh, Montez Ford's Sean. Unfortunately, uh, he's been in the system for years. And uh, to be honest, if it wasn't for the fact that he's paired with Ford, I imagine he would have been probably among the people who were let go this week. Uh, so God bless Montez Ford, and uh, yeah, I would see. I would imagine Ford and Belair to be potentially two mega stars for this company in in the making, uh, possibly in you know within the next five years. So yeah, yeah, it was it was a decent mid card match, nothing to write home about, but you know, entertaining nevertheless. Uh, moving on, we had uh, Bailey versus Lacey Evans versus Naomi versus Sasha Banks versus Tamina in a five way elimination match. Um, again, not a lot to, you know, kind of this match was really all about Bailey and Sasha Banks. And you got that right from the off. If It, it was uh, reasonably subtle, actually. A very nice bit of production work from WWE. That even when Sasha was making her entrance, you know, you had... Uh, sorry, Bailey was making her entrance. You had Sasha Banks kind of in, the, in, in shot. Bailey in the foreground, Sasha in the background. It was very much telling the story that that is where we were going with this. Um... But everyone got a bit of shine in this match. Uh, Tamina, it took all five women doing finishes on her and covering her as a group in order to to get her out of commission. Um, it took uh, Naomi, Naomi putting a great showing, and she, yeah, she's such an incredible athlete. Like she is genuinely is probably one of the most athletic people in WWE, and probably deserves a bit more credit than she gets for being this consistently fantastic performer, but. I'm not sure. For some reason, uh, WWE just don't see her as a top draw talent on the level of Sasha or Bailey. Um, hopefully, they will at some point. They'll realize what they've got because she is fantastic. Uh, but she looked great here, uh, as she has done since she came back at the Rumble. Um, uh, Lacey Evans, who I'm not a huge fan of, I don't think she's quite ready for this level. Uh, she still feels a bit green. She, uh, excuse me, sorry, I have quite bad hay fever, so sorry if I sound a bit nasal when I'm saying this. Um, yeah, so uh, I thought she looked okay here, though, for the most part. Uh, it's the best she's looked since her kind of sharp left turn to babyface a few months ago without changing any element of her character, uh, which is a really defined heel character. It's very odd. Um, but yeah, this is the best she's looked as a babyface at this point. Um I thought the stuff they did with Sasha and Bailey, kind of teasing dissension there, only for the two of them to kind of reunite, but with a sort of shaky alliance now, uh, was very well done. Um, and although Bailey retains, I think that was the right decision because now you can build Sasha and Bailey for the big turn somewhere down the line and presumably the big match for SummerSlam. Um, maybe even Sasha wins the Money in the Bank briefcase at this stage and, you know, essentially uh, kind of gives Bailey the idea that she's going to cash in on uh, on Becky Lynch or whoever happens to be the Raw Women's Champion going forward, uh, only for her eventually to, to cash in on Bailey. 
where they do the big the big face turn for for Sasha Banks. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a good match, though. Uh, I enjoyed it more than I expected, uh, and really, that's as much as you can ask for in a, on a card that's being filmed in front of no one. Um, we'll move on to the main event now, uh, because I want to come back to the other two kind of less traditional matches on this card. Uh, Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, it was pretty much your standard Brock Lesnar sprint. He was not getting paid by the hour for this show, <laughs> and understandably, uh, did not want to hang around. So, uh, but it was a very clean, emphatic win for, for Drew McIntyre, who looked great here. Um, you know, eight, three, or four F fives. Still came back, kicked out of an F five at, at one, which was a, a brilliant spot. I thought a real great fire up spot. Um, very, uh, very mid nineties all Japan. Um, and then uh, you have this uh, kind of. You know, him hitting the Claymore kicks. And unlike when Seth Rollins beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania last year, where it took a low blow and it still felt a little kind of, you know, cheap. This was an emphatic, clean as a whistle win, uh, which is about as as big an endorsement as you can get uh, in WWE. And uh, Drew is the new WWE champion. Uh, he, he deserved it. He looks great. I, I think I feel really sorry for him because this could have been a huge moment in front of a massive crowd. But again, circumstances are what they are, and I just hope he gets a fair shake as champion. Um, technically, although it wasn't on the broadcast, it was shown a Raw the following night, technically we got another match here as well, uh, with Drew having to defend against the big show almost immediately afterwards. Uh, which, you know, for the record, was quite a good match. It's pretty good. McIntyre looked good. It was a solid first defence, especially as it happened immediately after this, but, you know, fair deeds. Uh, keeps Big Show in the spotlight as well with his new Netflix show out, which I have yet to see, but I gather it's a pretty standard silly sitcom. Uh, very uh, mid-90s Disney Channel sort of fair, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Overall, I thought they did a good job with, with McIntyre, or as good a job as you could do in the circumstances. Right, so there are two matches left, and I wanted to focus on these specifically because they're a little bit less traditional than the normal in-ring matches that we got for the rest of the show. Uh, Edge versus Randy Orton was probably the best-built show, sorry, best-built match on this show in advance. Uh, They did some great work. Randy Orton's been maybe at a career high in terms of actual uh, promo work, and, and, you know, it's been great, and it's a shame for Edge making his big return to WrestleMania, his first singles match in almost a decade uh, after having been medically disqualified from wrestling. Uh, yeah, it, it should have been a big deal. Uh, and unfortunately, for a number of reasons, it didn't quite live up to that. Uh, I thought it started really well. The Randy Orton uh, hiding as a cameraman and then getting a couple of RKOs right off the bat worked quite well. It put over the... Edge's neck is still susceptible to damage, and you know, obviously, there's there's history there. I think it also created a situation where you uh, kind of feel very sorry for Edge right off the bat. He's very much fighting from underneath, which was great. Um, but then it turned into this arena-wide brawl, which, if I'm honest, dragged a little bit. This match went, you know, well over half an hour. It should have been twenty minutes at most. It dragged massively, and although Edge looked great, there were some really good spots. The stuff in between those great spots could have been cut. So there's no excuse on a pre, pre-tape pre show. that could, This could have been edited down massively and they could have had something fantastic. 
but they kept everything in. And it was, you know, while, you know, Randy Orton was great with, with some brilliant verbiage throughout, uh, it maybe didn't quite have the impact it could have had. Um, I, I also found it very difficult to watch uh, Edge uh, taking bumps on his on his neck because I'm not quite used to the idea that he's completely all right. Um Especially as there doesn't seem to be any reason that he's suddenly okay. So, yeah, it's a bit weird. Uh, that was a bit frightening at points. But I thought Edge looked great. Autumn was fantastic. It just... The, the match probably could have done with being maybe 10 minutes shorter. There was a lot of brawling around corridors that probably could have been cut out. But, yeah, strong finish uh, on top of the, the truck uh, with the concerto. And, yeah, a good return from Edge, who looks great. He's probably in the shape of his life at this point. Um, and hopefully is going to be, uh, you know, featured sporadically uh, moving forward. Last but very much not least, uh, we have the Firefly Funhouse match. Funhouse? Funhouse match uh, with John Cena taking on uh, Bray Wyatt. In match is probably the wrong term. This was a sort of piece of... Uh, a sort of weird psycho play uh, with you know, a deep dive into the the mythos of John, the John Cena character uh, going from uh, his debut uh, and his inability to do anything other than shout ruthless aggression and punch, uh, very much of what Daniel would describe as Gary Blue Pants, uh, just a very creator wrestler generic kind of guy uh, to the ruthless, aggre- uh, ruthless aggression, the uh, the doctor doctor of thugonomics uh, phase, and kind of pointing out how hackneyed and very much uh, kind of uh, dated those references and stuff are, um, you know, calling back to the uh, the WrestleMania 30 match and uh, the whole Johnny Large Meat thing with the Saturday night's main event, Hulkamania era references about, you know, Cena getting more chances despite failing because of his physique, right down to the WrestleMania 30 match, the rewriting history, John Cena turning to the dark side and basically Bray Wyatt stripping him of his kind of this armor of being a good guy, basically breaking down the mythos of the John Cena character to the point where he was so broken down that the fiend was able to be let in and uh, Cena could, um, although also NWO Cena, all I want to see now is like a weird parallel universe version of the NWO with John Cena involved. That was incredible. Um, Yeah. I mean, Wyatt got the win, but good lord, a match is not what I watched. I watched a fantastic piece of performance art. Uh, and this, you know, you say what you like about the circumstances of WWE still continuing to put on these shows, but the pre-taped nature of these things gives them a real opportunity to do something a little bit different. And that something a little bit different was something absolutely incredible. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I... I I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, it's it's one of the most ambitious, creative things they've ever done, and probably one of the best uses of Bray Wyatt in terms of executing the ideas and translating them to the audience in a way that's actually really effective uh, that they've ever done. Um, this probably meant more putting put John, uh, John Cena putting over Bray Wyatt in this way than it would in a normal match. It was it was just something absolutely incredible. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, I urge you to go out of your way to watch one of the most bizarre, brilliant, and just utterly, utterly mesmerising things you'll ever see on a WWE broadcast. 
So that was WrestleMania Night 2. Uh, overall, I thought it was a very strong show. I uh, Both nights were very enjoyable. Night 2 probably didn't quite have as strong a lineup as the night as night one and it i'm glad they kept the boneyard match and the firefly funhouse match on separate nights it made sense the way they did it uh i'd say probably going sort of three and a half stars for this a very good show i was grateful for the three and a half hour runtime as opposed to seven hours the splitting over two nights worked really well uh but yeah I, I mean overall considering the circumstances and whether you agree with them putting on these shows or not is it We'll put that to one side for now. Just based on the, objectively, speaking about just the show itself, uh, from an in-ring point of view, and, well, out-of-ring point of view, I suppose, as well, with the fun house and the uh, the Falls Count, Falls Count, last man standing match. Uh, it was something enjoyable, really good. Uh, I So, yeah, I'd go three and a half stars. Right, uh, that is it from me. Um, we'll sign off here. Um, I'll, on behalf of Daniel, I'll say thank you very much for listening to us in this slightly unusual format for these slightly unusual days of slightly unusual times. Um, you can catch us at on Twitter at, at WrestleCube, on Facebook at re- facebook.com slash WrestleCube, uh, on Instagram at WrestleCube, <laughs> and at soundcloud.com slash WrestleCube, where you can listen to all of our past episodes, future episodes, and hopefully we'll be back uh, in the very near future with something a little bit special because we've all got a bit of downtime at the moment and I think me and Daniel are going to work on something a little bit outside of our normal wheelhouse uh, I won't say any more than that but let's just say it should be something quite quite fun uh, and light hearted for you all so uh, yeah on behalf of Daniel I'll say Cube uh, on behalf of myself I'll say so long folks thanks for listening <laughs>